Welcome to More Than a Sign, where we talk to some of Milwaukee's most productive realtors, up-and-coming realtors, and those that work alongside us. However, rather than being a platform for shameful self-promotion, these are intimate discussions about the journey, the struggle, the fear, and ultimately, the personal growth along the way. At the end of the day, nobody really cares about what we do. All that really matters is who we are. Today, we're going to learn who Taylor Moore is. But before we do, let me tell you a few things about what Taylor has done. So Taylor is in his second year, about, about a year and a half into the business at, at Landro Realty. And um, in Taylor's first year and a half in the business, he's done $6 million worth of work and more coming, which is really remarkable for somebody in their first full year. No disrespect intended, Taylor, but who cares about that? <laughs> um, let's talk about Taylor the guy. And before we do, sure, I love a good coincidence. Yeah. And I was having lunch today with two agents, sure. a husband and wife team. <laughs> and they shared that recently they had a really remarkable house with so much interest, crazy open house, and they had 29 offers. Yeah. And they shared with me, and the whole reason why this came up is I was with them and I said, like, we were talking about the podcast and, and who was coming up, and um, they told me the story. So they had 29 offers on the house, and when is the case with 29 offers, you can't call every agent and tell yeah. them. So they said that they received an offer uh, that they had to take. It wasn't yours. Yep. But- they didn't know you previously, but they spent time with you at the open house and, and other conversations, and they were crushed that you didn't get it. Yeah. And you were the only person out of 29 offers that they actually called. It was, you know, Tim and Sarah Reardon. Absolutely. Um, but ironic that I heard that story an hour ago, and they told me to make sure to say hi. Oh, my goodness. I love those two. They are absolutely amazing. And that house was absolutely beautiful. It, it was crushing not to get it, but... Given the circumstances, Wauwatosa at the time, hot area. But 3% chance. If three, there are 29 offers, you have a 3%. 3% chance. They were absolutely amazing. And w what I wanted to do in that situation is not, not only are you trying to get a house, but then also you're trying to make sure that you can sell your your clients, if you if you will, in that situation. So I made it a point to make sure that you know, my buyers that I introduced them to Sarah and Tim, you know, that they got a good look at the house, but most importantly to understand how much they actually cared about the house. Hmm. And that was all articulated in that, in that entire interaction. Sure. But ironically, Sarah and Tim and I have kept in contact since then. So I, oh, nice. Tim and I regularly message each other semi-regularly on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So it, we, we do keep in contact and, and, and I really believe that Real estate is all about, like you said, starting to develop relationships, mm -hmm. expanding your network. And then with that, you have the opportunity to help more people. Right. Absolutely. hundred percent. And uh, they're great people and they'll be future guests. Yeah. Um, so Taylor, you're a big guy, but at one point in time, you were a very little guy. So yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take you back to that point. Okay. So just for frame of reference, I'm 6'3". 239 hundred thirty nine pounds now. So yes. Uh, so and you're a big six three. I'm a big six three. <laughs> right. So I, I played college football. Yeah. Um. So you want to talk about 
yeah. what I wanted to be as a child. Oh, you you grew up here in Milwaukee. I grew right? up, born and raised in Milwaukee. Okay. Grew, grew up partially on 17th and McKinley back in the 90s. Okay. Spicy. Very right. spicy area yeah, wow. <laughs> during that time. So, sure. uh, but always was kind of ingrained in the community. And I love being a product of Milwaukee, uh, if, if you will. Uh, but as a child, I, I grew up here, uh, moved around to different parts of the north side of Milwaukee. Initially, growing up, you know, I, I wanted to be a, a football player, mm. a professional football player. Eventually, they, that got shut down. Uh, okay. But, yeah, I've, I've, I've always kind of been intrigued by, by real estate to some degree. Mm-hmm. Not, not as much as a child, but growing into my, my teenage years, I always got a little bit more fascinated. And I think partially that was due to my exposure at Marquette High. It was such, just to be transparent, to some degree, it was a culture shock. Yeah. So before we talk about sure, real estate, sure. yeah. how, how did you end up? I mean, 19th and 17th, 19th? 17th and McKinley. 17th and McKinley. 17th and McKinley. Most of those kids don't go to Marquette High. No. So no. talk about that for a second. Yeah. So how did you get there? Ironically, what my what my mother used to do, and, and, and this is, so after I grew up partially in my grandmother's house in 17th and McKinley, we moved uh, to 74th and Ruby, uh, kind of like Capitol Heights, Columbus Park area. Mm-hmm. My mother... Single mom used to take me to a lot of different money conferences and things in terms of investment and things of mm. that nature, just to, for me to get a, a good understanding of financial literacy, which I, I thought was amazing exposure. My mom always used to take me to the library and things like things of that nature to, to help provide wow. some, some type of additional education, if you will, because she was a teacher. Fantastic. Yeah. We went to this conference and there was a man that knew my grandfather. So my grandfather, uh, Charles Upchurch, uh, opened up a church, El Shaddai. I want he opened it up with my grandmother in like the, I want to say sixties. And so this man recognized my mother. Hmm. Uh, and so they had a conversation about Marquette High's college prep program. Hmm. So it was a summer program for boys. And they essentially, you know, took these students, put them in a college prep environment over the summer. And it was almost a feeder program. So from there, that's how I got my introduction into Marquette High. So it was either that or Rufus King, because for whatever reason, I thought I was going to play basketball. Sure. And I'm not coordinated enough to to, to do any of that. So, yeah. Okay. So you ended up going to Marquette High, and you Mm -hmm. said that was a bit of a culture shock. Yeah, it was a little bit of a culture shock. I was not prepared for the amount of wealth that I saw at Marquette Mm -hmm. High. Um, You know, so you're 16, and then, you know, the, the school, every Jesuit school, is somehow just I'm just going to be very transparent if I yeah, can't be. Please. A lot of Jesuit schools are just in the hood. Like so right. Market High is off of 35th and Wisconsin and mm-hmm. Michigan. So and as a 16-year-old or a 14, 16, 17-year-old, you're going to that high school. Number one, it's intimid- intimidating from an academic standpoint to some degree. But then also you you look in the parking lot, there's 16-year-olds driving BMWs. Right. Mercedes. Then, you know, they're complaining when the car gets broken to broken into mm-hmm. when it's on 35th and Michigan. Right. Uh, so but I wasn't prepared for that. But then also at the same time, it also did help me prepare for the rest of the world, if you will. Hmm. That makes sense. Sure. So that so I kind of got that 
idealistic corporate education, how do you function in society type of education uh, from being at Marquette High and seeing and seeing those things. So it, 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 it was actually very, very helpful uh, to see that. But then also at the same time, recognizing and seeing how some of my friends lived at the time, the houses that they had. I mean, it, it was absolutely fascinating. Was it hard to reconcile that? Uh, to some degree, but then also at the same time, I always knew that if, if that was something that I can envision for myself, that I was worthy of that as well. Yeah. Beautiful. That I wasn't separate from it. Perfect. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, so you're going to school at Marquette. You're going to be either a football player or a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Um, how does life ensue from there? Great question. So football really, really took off for me. My sophomore year, I ended up getting moved up to varsity. And then my junior year, I ended up starting as a defensive end, which was a shock to me because I'm just like, okay, I, I don't know why they want me to start. But I ended up having a really good junior year campaign. And then from year, from there, got recruited. Uh, I did not get an offer from Wisconsin like I wanted to, but I did end up getting a full-ride scholarship to play Division One AA football at uh, the University of South Dakota. Nice. And for those that don't follow football, a defensive end is somebody that's – your job is to go get them. Just go out there and get it. You're, you're trying to tackle a quarterback. Right. Yeah, so, yeah you're trying to tackle a quarterback. Um, and, you know, this theme will probably come back in our sure. discussion, but yeah. what a nice – mindset to have or your job is to go get it to go make things happen exactly. you're not waiting things to for, waiting for things to happen you're making things happen. exactly exactly okay. um what was college like college was really interesting you want to talk about another culture shock coming <laughs> coming from milwaukee wisconsin mm-hmm. to vermilion south dakota was a shock originally i had planned I, I said if i don't if i don't get a scholarship if i if i don't end up playing college football i'm going to go to howard university in dc mm. which is a historically black college sure. uh, vastly different than the cornfields of vermilion south dakota so mm-hmm. it was a little bit of a culture shock but but everyone was actually so wonderful the, the people there were absolutely wonderful and nice and down to earth. And it, it was a little bit of a slower pace. So mm-hmm. that was nice. Mm-hmm. That was nice. Hard to get in trouble in South Dakota. Yes. There, I mean, well, I mean, I mean, it's, it's your typical small college town where, you know, I mean, there's not a lot to do. So people, you know, had a tendency to party, which I mean, that was fun, you know, being away from home for the first time and have an opportunity to do that, but also to play football too. Yeah. So. You graduate college. I graduate from college. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, like most of us, that's another shock. You go from being the center of attention and this great, fun life to being in the bottom rung of the ladder again. Yeah. I had no clue what I was going to do coming out of college. I had decided at the time, at the time I had a, a girlfriend that I was just like, oh, you know, I want, she's got one more year left. I want to stay and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, and this and that. And I tried uh, to go to law school, which I did get accepted to three different law schools. I got accepted also to the University's of South Dakota School of Law. And my cousin from Atlanta came and visited me. And she was just, she, she said to me, Taylor, do you, do you really want to stay here? Do you want to stay in Vermilion, South Dakota? You've been here for, for five years. So I said, well, no. And, you know, I decided to forego my seat at the University of South Dakota School of Law, and I moved to Atlanta mm. on a whim. Still had no clue what I, what, what I wanted to do. Sure. Fun city, dynamic. For, Atlanta is too fun. 
Right. Atlanta, it, it, literally uh, every every day of the week can be uh, a Saturday night in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did you do when you found yourself in Atlanta? So I got really, really intrigued with cooking shows. Hmm. I, I got in, intrigued by Gordon Ramsay, and I picked up cooking randomly. It was very therapeutic, and I think at the time when I looked back at it, it gave me a sense of control hmm. because the rest of life just seemed like, oh, my God, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. But being able to be in a kitchen, control the situation, be creative, put something together was was great. So I worked at a couple different restaurants. I worked as a prep cook. I worked as a server. And then I decided randomly to go out on a whim and audition for MasterChef. So I auditioned for MasterChef, got a call back. And I ended up being on season six, episode one of MasterChef. I got eliminated twice in one episode, Okay, which was a lot. Right. right. Emotionally, that was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Funny. But everything is a learning experience, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So what happens after that? What happened after that? So I came back home and I returned to... One of the restaurants I, I worked in, kind of one of the summers that I, I was here actually in Milwaukee, which was Carson. So I worked there for a little bit uh, as a host. And then I got this idea. There's this family that would always come in. They would always come in and they, you know, they had like a, a warehouse sales department and everything like that. And I remember the son uh, and well, the mother in particular said, you should get into sales. I'm like, OK, well, I like talking to people and everything like that. Yeah, I can I can do that. So initially, my first job after that, my first big boy job uh, was working as a uh, software sales consultant for a transportation management company, which Mm. in the long run, what essentially we did is we had a software that would help all of your your trucks like your FedEx or UPS trucks. They would essentially search for uh, cheaper rates uh, for clients. That's that's what our software did. Sure. So I did that for about a year and a half or so. And from a sales standpoint, it just, it was great. It was, it was competitive to some degree because I've always liked, you know, competition, be, being a f- former athlete. But there wasn't a sense that I was actually helping people. Mm. So what I decided to do after that was to prepare myself to get into medical device sales. I thought it'd be a great combination of, okay, we're going to help people, but then also be in a competitive environment. Yeah. And what year was that? So that was around, I want to say July of 2016. I went through like a, like a nine week boot camp uh, in this place in, in, in Colorado. It was a, it was a sales training college. Uh, for from specifically for orthopedics and things of that nature, mm-hmm. didn't initially get my start like I wanted to immediately working for a medical device company, but I did start working in medical device sales uh, directly in May of 2017. Okay, so that's where I spent the vast majority of my career was in medical device sales. What was that like? Uh, it it was fun. I think the initial rush of you know being able to travel. I mean, I had a big territory. So I would cover Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana. And then the next year it flipped. It was Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, and then Montana of all places, which if you have not had a chance to go to Montana, oh my gosh. I mean, like, you know, God's country. Like, I mean, it's crazy how beautiful Montana is. Mm -hmm. 
it, it, but it was it was wonderful. It was everything you know that I desired it to be at the time. So I worked for a couple of different uh, medical device companies, and and it can be pretty intense. Sure, it can be very intense. Just with, you know, with any type of, uh, of of sales role, if you will. But still, at the same time, I thought you know I was having an opportunity to serve people mm-hmm. to some degree. Nice. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. But you had this real estate itch that you talked about as a little kid, right? I did have a real estate itch. And I found myself, and this was this, so I I got hired by another medical device company in March of 2020. And as we all know, that is when Mm -hmm. everything literally just shut down. Uh, And I worked for this medical device company for about a year and a half or so. And... I realized that, that I needed to part ways. There was something that I could do that I've never done before. And obviously, you know, with this this crazy thing happening with, with COVID, maybe this was the best time for me to actually make this transition. Because there was a lot of questions that I had in my mind. Okay, can can I be 1099? Can I kill? Can I eat what I kill? Mm-hmm. You know, and still live and 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 find a way to enjoy life. And I decided to make the transition to uh, real estate in April of 2021. Okay. So let's talk about that. Yeah. People underestimate how challenging that is. Yeah. You joined a brokerage that provides leads, which sounds great, Mm -hmm. but that's a lot of work. Like that's, you know, you're working very hard to winnow a huge number of people yeah. down to a couple of buyers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and this has always kind of been my mentality. I don't mind working like a dog. Like I knew mm-hmm. when I played Division One, you know, football, I, I was going to work like a dog. So, and and especially for me, a lot of my transactions end up being on the buyer side, which is fine. Mm-hmm. It's such a transformational process to help folks uh, get to the place that they want to be. But it, it was a transition for me. But I also had an opportunity to rely on my medical device background, which was extremely helpful. Extremely helpful. What have you drawn from that? So when you're working with physicians, when you're working with directors of nursing, when you're working with uh, clinical dietitians, you need to be on point. Mm. You need to be thorough because these people are well studied. They're well educated. And if you mispronounce something, mm. if you don't present something in the in the, the right way, they are going to call you on on it and okay. you're going to lose your credibility. Sure. So one of the things that I had in mind was, OK, how do I build credibility rapidly, especially with people that I don't know? Mm-hmm. How do I do that? I think we have a tendency in our industry whenever someone says, hey, I want to see a home. We go, we go OK, we're going to run out and go see it. We don't structure or put anything in place to understand, number one, who these people are, what they want, and what's important to them. Mm-hmm. So anytime I, I have someone that I, you know, initially meet, I take the time to, to sit down, hey, let's go grab coffee or lunch, and let's get granular about what you want in a home. Let's understand what, what, what's important to you. Why do you, why do you want to buy a home? What do you want your rooms to look like? What type of space? What, what, what type of things do you want your home to say about you? So understanding those things and then being able to identify it has helped me tremendously, but it helps to streamline that process. Nice. I like to call it 100 questions and 10 homes rather yeah. than 10 questions and 100 homes. Yeah. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how many people do you have to talk to to find 
a near-term buyer and how do you tell if someone's going to be a long-term buyer? That's a great question. So what you're asking is, for example, someone that is going to be more transactional, somebody that you're going to have a relationship with. Right. Sometimes it's just based on a personality type. Like I've had a couple of people where it's just like, okay, I know like after we're done, like we're done, mm. you know, but then there's people that I, that I know that I, that I've worked with that, okay, we're going to be good friends after this. Mm. Like we're going to be able to catch up. We're going to be able to grab drinks or you're going to have me over to the house that I sold you mm-hmm. and we're going to be friends and keep in contact. And ideally that's what you want with every single transaction, but then right. serving the public, you know, sometimes, you know, there's just people that we just don't allow line with, if, right. if you will. That's the best way that I can frame it. So, and the key in the business you're in right now where you're converting leads mm-hmm. is to turn those leads into relationships yep. so that next time they're free. Exactly. It's not an expensive Zillow yeah. split or anything like that. Yeah. You want to make your, your transactions have babies. And that's the other part of, of where, where I'm at right now in, in my uh, real estate career is that I've really been trying to, to focus more on and, and doing this genuinely, not just for like the sake of like, oh, I want to sell some people another house when they get tired of the house, which, you know, well, you know, they'll let me sell it. But genuinely getting to make sure that I develop a relationship with people and that I seek to know how they're doing, that I understand what's going on in their lives and just just keeping in touch. Like I, I had a, a client that I worked with that started out as a Zillow lead. We closed in a house in August. And just last night, he texted me like it was just, this was like maybe nine o'clock or, or whatnot. Hey, I'm going to have this person reach out to you. They're looking for a house. Thank you. Beautiful. So it's supposed and, to work. And that's the way that it should be. Mm-hmm. That's the way that it should be. So I'm, I've had a beautiful start at Landro um, and it's been absolutely amazing. But then also in terms of like where I want to go in my career you know, being, you know, that I started in April of 2021, how do you create longevity? How do you create longevity? Yeah, great question. So (laughs) again, I think a lot of it has to do with relationships, letting people know what you're doing. And I used to have such a problem with this. And this is why I was initially scared to get into real estate. One, because it was 1099. I was just like, okay, there's no benefits. There's not this, that, Mm -hmm. or the other. But then it's just like, man, I have to tell people what I'm doing. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you love what you do, there's nothing wrong with informing or sharing people with what you do. That's totally fine. It's totally fine. So you have permission to do that. I was very, very scared to do that. Mm -hmm. Very, very scared. But I do it all the time now. Yeah. You don't want to be what they call a secret agent. No, no, not at all. No, I want people to, the the first thing that I want them to think when they think about a house is that I want, I want them to think about me too. Mm -hmm. So my brother and I had a, remodeling business that turned into a home building business. Um, And when we were young, we were naive and we thought that everybody that we knew would hire us and then we would start working with people we didn't know. But it really worked out the opposite way. We had to build a business with people we didn't know for the people that we did know to trust us. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it sounds like you're kind of doing the same thing. You're building a business where you have to build rapport right away and that's not easy, but if you can figure out how to do that, you can mm-hmm. do anything. Yeah, yeah. Getting getting to know someone that's a stranger and then turning them into a friend, I mean, that's huge. But that's what what I did a lot in medical device sales, too. So I, bar- I, I borrowed a lot of, from that background, that experience to truly get to know people, mm-hmm. to truly take the time to get to know people and to be invested in them. I think what happens so often with 
just anyone just in sales, especially new people, they start talking about themselves or they start talking about their product and and then they get really verbose and they're not making it about the person that they're working with or that they're working for. Hmm. It has to be for them. So what we do in real estate, in my opinion, is is we work to serve others. Right. And for that, for doing a good job and truly serving people, we get rewarded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I often say that we don't look to sell someone a home. We look to find them a home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And to be advocates and advisors. Absolutely. Salespeople. Absolutely. And any human being knows when, when a salesperson has commission breath, you right. can just smell it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, for me, I never want to sell someone something. I want them to feel like they made a choice and it's a choice that they feel good about. Yeah. So why are you doing better than most? I think it's my approach. Well, well, number one, I don't want to get too religious, but you know, God, mm-hmm. big man upstairs. That's uh, fair. Yeah. I think a lot of it is my faith and determination. I can tell you that there's been several different times transitioning into, into real estate where I had a lot of questions. I wasn't sure how things were going to fan out, but like through some type of divine intervention in some cases, Mm -hmm. things come together. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's a reward of having the right mindset and also just taking the right action. Mm -hmm. And probably also if you're in the conversion business, which you're in right now, it's not taking anything personally. No, no. Right? No. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in real estate, and life to me goes so hand in hand. Like I have learned so much about myself mm-hmm. doing this. It's some things that I didn't want to learn about myself, but I learned it. I had to see it. But that's one of the things that I've also come to see is that you can't take these things personally. Right. Sometimes it's just not a fit and that's mm-hmm. okay. But then there's other people that will love to work with you that will tell everybody about you that will make sure that you get business uh, and that want to see you be successful because they like you. Right. And as it relates to referrals, and I talk to my team about this all the time, in the beginning, we believe that people refer clients to us because they like us. Mm -hmm. That's not why people refer clients to us. They refer clients to us because they like their friends Mm -hmm. and they trust us. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can grow to build trust, if people know that you will go to the ends of the earth for their friends that they care about or love. Mm -hmm. That's where the referrals come from. And it sounds like you're starting to get those, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think the thing is, like you said, trust, credibility, the integrity, all of those things go hand in hand. And when you do the right things, Mm -hmm. you'll be rewarded. I had a, I had a mentor slash boss, the transportation management company that I worked for. There was a deal that he had uh, that if he would have let the contract language stay as it was, he would have netted more, but the customer would have lost out on their savings. So the way mm. in which that contract worked, they saved the, the client a little bit of money, and then they get a percentage of that as well. But he said, you know what? I told my client what happened. We restructured the, the contract to reflect what it should and there's still a client of mine, even though I could have made more money, mm-hmm. right? But it was about doing the right thing. 
And so especially with with our industry, there is a lower level uh, or lower barrier to entry, if you will. So having that integrity, mm-hmm. um, not selling people, folks a house, but actually being there for them, being their advocate, being there to support them, truly being a fiduciary is so incredibly important. But having that type of integrity will take you far. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I keep coming back in my mind, you're talking and I just picture you coming around the edge, you know, <laughs> like bearing down on the quarterback. Yeah. And I think a lot of life is just going out and getting it right. Absolutely. Just making it happen. Like nothing comes to us. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to go after it, but also to believe and understand that you're worthy to go after it. So like, for example, like my first sale after starting was in June of 2021. So I went, went a little bit of time without a check, mm-hmm. but that was for 52,000. And then my second transaction was for 570,000, but I, I would not have felt comfortable doing that $570,000 transaction. If I did not take the time to tell myself that I was worthy enough and good enough to do it. And when we were briefly prepping for this conversation and you shared that you had a $52,000 sale followed by 570. Yeah. I asked you immediately which one you preferred with a smile and a laugh. And you paused. You know, the the normal answer would be, oh, I made 10 times as much on the 570, but right. we're in the people business. Exactly. Right? And, exactly. And that was your reaction without even thinking about it. It was, you know what? Both of them. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, and, and mm-hmm. you know, with our business, Last year, we had a $70,000 sale and a $7 million sale, and every single one is important. And the transaction was probably a bigger deal for the $70,000 buyer than the... And you know what? The $70,000 buyer becomes a $100,000 seller and a $200,000 buyer and a $300,000 seller and a $500,000 buyer, and that's just, you know... If you treat everybody with dignity and respect and the same level of effort. Exactly. If you treat your $52,000 buyers like your $570,000 buyers, that's what we're all here for, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every client, no matter what type of situation they're coming from, whether they have to build their credit up, whether they need $10,000 worth of closing cost credits for a seller, everyone deserves to be treated with dignity Mm -hmm. and honor. And, and veneration because there shouldn't there shouldn't be a barrier to how you treat people uh, if if you are truly looking to serve people again we get rewarded for for serving people you know not not selling people but mm-hmm. as cheesy and cliche as that sounds but we truly get rewarded for serving people and if you can keep that in mind especially when things are frustrating when they're tough when you're driving now for me I dr- I drive a lot for, mm-hmm. for my clients I was in Watertown last night so wow. that, that that's a drive from Milwaukee um but it was about serving this family that's looking to purchase their first home because they have two twin girls and then on top of that you know they want to expand their family even more and purchasing this house is going to be transformational for them there's something that's higher that's involved in all of this than yourself. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, and I, I've seen this sometimes with certain agents and certain brokerages where they make it all about them. It's not about you. It has nothing to do with you. Right. It exactly. has absolutely nothing to do with you. It's about how you serve people. Mm-hmm. Right. And a servant's heart will go further than 
you know, a me, me, me. Oh, absolutely. There's a cap on that. Absolutely. And, and there's, you know, for the, for the people that are willing to do that, yeah, you probably can get rewarded a little bit, but then you're, you're churning and burning. Like you're, you're, you're crashing your business all the time because you're not making it sustainable because you're not forming relationships and the people know at some point that you're not treating them as they should truly be treated. Mm-hmm. People can tell that all the time. Yeah. So I, I've had a number of different people that said, you know, well, we worked with, you know, another agent before you, they weren't patient. They didn't take the time to understand what we wanted. And and for me, sometimes when I hear these types of stories, I'm, I'm just like, how is someone surviving as a realtor? And they're not even asking you about what they want. Well, about what you want in a home, mm-hmm. configuring in a search for you, showing you what you like. Well, you know, there are a lot of realtors out there that don't have the right moral compass or the mm-hmm. right drive. And I always say, we all get paid the same, but we don't all make the same. Yeah. Right? Yeah. right? Yeah. And I think there is a short life for an agent that doesn't have ethics um, or isn't in it mostly for others. And I think if you are in it mostly for others, it's a career. Mm-hmm. If you're not, it's just something you did for a year or two. Yeah. 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 And the thing is, is that when I, when I'm able to go home at the end of the day or, or, you know, I have a closing, I can truly be at peace and feel good about it because I know I did the right thing. Mm-hmm. I know I did the right thing, yeah. you know, and I know that these folks are going to be happy with being here for the next five, seven, 30, however long they're going to be here for, because I did the right thing. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go in a different direction. You can please, either please say yes or no, please. But the neighborhood you grew up in is sure. largely underserved, yes. not represented by yes. professionals, and inordinately renters rather than owners. Yeah. And to, to get ahead in life, you have yeah. to be part of the ownership society. It's Absolutely. very hard when you're not a part of the ownership society. Um, if you look at all that went on during the pandemic and the run-up in the market, Look, rent went up mm-hmm. and the value of homes went up. Yeah. If rent went up and you were a renter, it was just expense. Yeah. If rent went up and you were an investor, it was a windfall. If homes went up in value and you're a renter, they're f- further out of reach. Mm-hmm. If home goes, goes up in value like they did historically um, over the last couple of years, it's a windfall. So there are lots of people struggling to get out of the rental Mm -hmm. kind of environment that, and now with higher interest rates and all of that, Mm -hmm. it's become harder and harder. But the two keys to a better life are kind of education and getting in the game and owning and developing that. Is that a calling? Do you feel a calling there? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know. I, and I don't know how transparent, you know, we can be on this podcast, Please. but I'm, I'm just going to say it flat out, especially growing up in Milwaukee. Like I love to help folks uh, within my community purchase homes. Mm-hmm. I love to help increase black home ownership in, in Milwaukee. Now, of course, as a realtor, we can't discriminate or anything like that. But right. it's something that's so important to me because historically, especially if we understand the city of Milwaukee, the housing riots, you know, Father Grappi, all the marches, all these things that happen historically and how that's also positioned where home ownership is for uh, that community specifically is something that's so important. So 
providing education, uh, helping folks get with a lender that will help educate them if we need to build credit, if we need to build savings, all of those different things. It is so important. And I feel like for me, I have enough resources now where if I need to connect someone to a lender that can help them with a credit rescore or that can help coach them through, you know, a specific financial situation to get them to the point where they can get pre-approved. Absolutely. I love, I love doing that. But it's so important for us to understand financial literacy as a whole, but then also the importance of home ownership. Mm-hmm. It is so incredibly important. And a, a lot of folks from a generational standpoint, you know, they might have grown up where their parents or grandparents have rented and that's all that they know. Right. So home ownership can be a very foreign subject and being able to be a liaison and help people and coach them through that to get them to the point in which they can purchase a home. That feels amazing. Yeah. That feels amazing. And it's especially important in my mind for some of the renters in the neighborhood you yeah. were born in yeah. or grew up in, the rent they pay is disproportionate oh to the God. price of the house. Oh my so God. So in other words, you might pay a thousand a month yeah. in that neighborhood on a house that'll sell for seventy five thousand dollars. Yeah. And you might pay two thousand a month in another neighborhood for a house that would sell for three, four hundred thousand dollars, five hundred thousand yeah. dollars. And it's just the rent is too expensive for what you're getting and even more reason to get people into a house, get them into the game, have them start building equity, yeah. all of yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. The, the rent is too damn high. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. And anyways, that's a meme. Uh, but <laughs> right. no, it, I mean, but it, it is uh, really because you're pricing people out. Mm-hmm. You're pricing people out. And for example, the zip code that I spent the vast majority of my life in uh, was the 53218 zip code, which historically was the epicenter of, and it has been the, the epicenter of the black middle class here in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. So seeing that neighborhood change in terms of ownership, there's a lot of LLCs that, you know, own homes in that area. Whenever I have the opportunity to help folks get a decent, well-built home uh, in, you know, 53218, 53216 zip code, because there's a lot of gyms in a 53216 zip code. A lot mm. of people forget about that zip code here. Mm-hmm. But to have the opportunity to help someone find a home and to build up that equity and then build up their net worth, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful process. And I'm very grateful to to have done that in in my real estate career as well. Yeah, It's not just about selling the big houses. I had a month where, this is like last February, where I sold a house off of North Lake Drive for 705,001 off of like 45th and Melvina for 135,000. The the house that I sold on 135th and Melvina that was more of a rewarding sale to me than the the house that was in Whitefish Bay off of Lake Drive. Right, right. Cuz it was more transformational. Yes. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all day. about. Yeah. So, uh I would be remiss if I didn't ask. Sure. Um so when we started, you talked a little bit about your mom taking you around to expose you to financial literacy and stuff. Yeah. Is she still with you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. She still is. Talk yeah. about your mom because she must have had a big impact on where you are today. Oh, my God, man. That woman is amazing. I'm so amazed by my mom. Mm-hmm. She is absolutely incredible. I've seen her do things that I've never would thought would be humanly possible. Mm-hmm. My mom switched careers. She worked for Ameritech. And at the time, we were living at my grandmother's house off of 17th and McKinley. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her prayer 
to God was to show her what she needed to do. Mm. So she went into teaching. That was the answer that she got. She went through a program, eventually got her master's. Wow. Did all of that. Put me through market high on her own. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, she finishes teaching for, you know, close to about, you know, a little bit over 20 years. Then in retirement, she starts her own tutoring business. Mm. So to watch her have all of these different transitions in life and to execute them so well and to do it all her all on her own, she has been an inspiration to me. I could tell that there was something special and that's why oh, I wanted yeah. to return to that. I think many of us, most of us think we're here because of us, yeah. but we're almost always here because of someone else. Exactly. Somebody's invariably paved the way, made sacrifices, made decisions, put us before them. And it's important that we remember that. And we have the opportunity every day to do that for other people. Mm-hmm. We have the opportunity to put, like your mom did for you, to put our clients before ourselves, to put our teammates before ourselves, mm-hmm. to put people that are just getting started in this business before ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's a competitive business. But at the end of the day, Lisa Ashley said this, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. We're all on the same team. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can't win if you lose. Right. And you can't win if I lose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the more that we realize that we're more one and the same than anything, that we're just all the same person, just, you know, walking in different shoes, living a different story, but we all have lived the same story. The more that we start to really realize that and understand that and that it's good for us to just support and be there for one another. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So five years out, what does Taylor's business look like? What oh, does Taylor's gosh. life look like? Um, so I, I, probably not as many buyer transactions, okay. but definitely more balanced. I definitely love to have my own, you know, real estate group or, or team, if you will, being able to help serve and educate, you know, newer realtors, taking on more listings, but being one of the first options that people think about when they want to purchase or sell a house here in the greater Milwaukee area. It seems like you accomplish whatever you put your mind to. Mm-hmm. It seems like you come by that honestly. Mm-hmm. Your future is bright. People that I know that know you have a great deal of respect and admiration for how you conduct yourself and your positive energy, kind of the confidence and positive energy you bring. Most of the people that I chat with, I know this has been really fun for me to yeah. get to know you. And, uh, you know, I think this is a business where it's hard differentiate ourselves, mm-hmm. whether you're an individual or a team or whatever. Um, but there's a lot inside you that differentiates you from others. Thank you. A lot that you've overcome and experienced. And years ago, decades ago, the brewers were interviewing for managers. And one of the managers they interviewed wasn't the head coach. Mm-hmm. And they said to him, you know, we really like you and we want to hire you, but you don't have experience. Mm -hmm. And he looked him in the eye and said, yeah, but I've experienced a lot. Yeah. And sometimes experiencing a lot means more than experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have uh, all the tools, you have a big heart, and it'll just be fun to watch, you know, what lies ahead. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot coming from you. And it's this has been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to get to know you through this podcast as, as well today. So 
yeah, ho- hopefully we'll get to know each other a little bit more in the future here. So but thank you. Sounds good. Maybe you, I, and your mom will go out for coffee. Oh, that'll be great, man. <laughs> we'll make it a great time, man. We'll have a blast. All right. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate cool. you. Thank you. So I'd like to give a shout out to Podcast Town Studios, our producer. No sleep for creating the music. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you believe that you or someone you know would be an ideal guest and would talk about not what they've done, but really who they are, why don't you reach out to me? I'm the easiest guy in the world to get a hold of. Thank you.